podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick question for you. Have you started playing daily fantasy yet? And if not, why not? Because if like me, you're already given up on the fantasy team that you drafted at the start of the season because it's doing so badly, then check out our brand new daily fantasy listener league, courtesy of DraftKings, because it could be the game for you. It's all very simple. You pick a brand new team every week based uh, on a salary cap. You enter that team into one or more of our show contests and you try and win all kinds of prizes. We've got merchandise, tickets and good old fashioned cash to give away. And more importantly than all of that, you can embarrass me, Propo, the Guru Sandrini and lots more of your show faves by showing us that you know a lot more than we do. So click the link in our show notes or hit us up on social media for a link. And that way you can join the show league. It's free to enter. And as well as the pay to play contest, there are going to be free to enter competitions all through the season. You have to be 18 plus, of course. And remember, be gambleaware.org. Oh, welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Good to have you with us, gang. And it is great to have Christian, Scotland, Williamson, no less, back in the house, all pro member of the crew. Former Pittsburgh Steeler, one of the smartest minds in the business. And he has brought with him his top five offenses in the NFL right now. He is going to rationalize why they're on the list. He's going to break down what makes them tick. And we're going to look ahead to some of their respective matchups this weekend and get you set for week 13 in the NFL. I cannot believe we are here already. Time is just flying. Things are getting serious. So we better get serious. That's why we got Christian on. Let's get straight down to business with the brilliant CSW. Christian, man, good to see you in the trenches right now, you were telling me. <laughs> it's good to see you also in a different trench and probably much more favourable than studying for law exams. <laughs> we're both we're both feeling it right now with our respective schedules, but it's a welcome break to, to sit and talk ball with you. We had an idea, and that's always a dangerous thing on this show. Um, and to be clear, it was Propo that had the idea. And as he doesn't have too many inspired ideas, we'll let, let, let him roll with it. We'll let him roll with it. Uh, it's a good one. He said, why don't we get Christian's top five offenses in the NFL right now and kind of index that with the weekend's game. So this is officially a preview show. And we'll look ahead to some of the teams I'm sure we'll be mentioning and who they got and, and those matchups. But that's how we're going to play it. So your top five offenses. Have you power ranked them any more than that? Or is just... Is it no, I haven't. I haven't. Okay. It was... It was more a, I wouldn't say sporadic, but the teams that were interesting me, mm-hmm. a couple of them a bit left to feel, like put the Niners in there, who, yep. like we just said, statistically, you wouldn't really go for. But mm. I think that to make a deep playoff run, after seeing what the Eagles, who are also in my top five, have done with the run game, I think that's mm. what makes me so exciting because with so many top corners in the game now, all it takes is for a quarterback to have an off game and then you have no run game to to support that then that becomes problematic. So mm. I think my running order was um, in no particular order. Uh, Cowboys, Eagles, Niners. Um, then who else did I go? The Dolphins, of course. The, Dolphins, the of mighty course, Dolphins. Of course, of course, the Dolphins. And what was my last pick? The Kansas um, City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, exactly. So the two obvious ones, the Dolphins yeah. and the Chiefs, are the ones that I clearly forgot about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, could... The Niners, I included there for a bit mm. of a left-of-field choice, but one that I think is built for playoff football. I like that thinking because you, you look at the numbers. This is what Propo was saying when we were when we were talking about it. 
he says well, the Niners rank 15th in passing yards and 15th in rushing yards, right? It's kind of middle of the pack, but it's a good example to me of you're going to take quite a lot of stats with a pinch of salt. You got to also look at the the deeper context at times, and and certainly that is true to your point with with the playoffs because we've seen this in so many different ways over the years. If you think about defensively, the Patriots for many years, the Ben not break defense and people would say if you're looking at surface level numbers oh the defense isn't great you know they're gonna rank it in the bottom well actually look at why they're ranking there and for which categories they're ranking and and drill down a bit deeper and i guess the other thing to say about the 49ers quite obviously we're going into the second half of the season the hmm. uh, this the serious business of the playoffs and they've added pieces they've had pieces come back even the Garoppolo factor which i think is fascinating that hmm. Yes, of course, he can acclimatize quickly because he's a season pro and he knows the offense. But seven, eight weeks ago, he was on the sidelines with his tablet saying, thinking, <laughs> am I going to get a move or not? And then so, so that's changed the dynamic, not just for him, but for Shanahan. I wasn't expected to do this and adjustments central. So we know that on that note, let me ask you this. Was this the same with the Steelers that we see great teams? They get better as the season goes on. Mm, it's all about peaking in December. Why um, and how? Why Why does that happen? You have to get hot at the right time. I think a lot of it sometimes is you find out what's the identity of your team for that particular year because no two teams are the same. There's a lot of movement and flex. And also the league composition might look different. You might have a division, say, where one year it's a down year and then the next year the defences are really strong or everyone can run the ball. Everyone's drafted a quarterback, for example. I look at uh, AFC North, what's happened over the years there. Mm -hmm. Um, So then... If you start early, so you could end up going 4-0 and for the beginning of the season and then 0-4 for the back end of the season and lose your playoff spot, which we've seen. I mean, if you look at, uh, I think it was the Colts last year, they went to Jacksonville. You would think that the thought that was a nailed-on game where they can just walk walk over them because I think Jacksonville were expecting to get the number one overall pick. That's how bad their season was going. Mm. Jacksonville turns them over away from home. They got hot at the wrong time, which was the beginning of the season and ended up completely collapsing towards the back end of the season when you had Jonathan Taylor on arguably an MVP kind of caliber year mm. rushing football. And then if you contrast that with this year, it's a completely different team that they've got and the success of last year don't translate to this year. So mm. I think when it comes to playoff football, it's about rhythm, it's about timing, and it's about leaving December confident going into January football that you know what your identity is as a team. How big is experience in that mixed in playoff football? Because and if you apply this to to different sports for a moment, like you hear this a lot with, well, let's take football and the Champions League, right? A lot of the time you hear, uh, well, a team goes out, say, in the quarterfinals, well, you know, and, and they haven't been in the Champions League for five years. Well, they're going to take a lot from this experience. They'll learn a lot from this experience. And I, and I get it. Of course, you've got taking the Champions League as, as the example, travel, facing mm. opponents you're not typically used to facing, and ha- then how you adjust both in terms of coaching and strategy and tactics, but also as players. So they're kind of surface level. But is there more than that? Do you buy into this? The more experienced a team or an individual typically, the stronger they're going to be in a, in a knockout situation. I definitely believe so. I think if you look at what some of the great championship teams in any sport are made of, it's young, fresh talent bringing the energy, but it's also that experienced vet who's there to set the culture and almost settle the nerves. There's that adage everyone loves, which is uh, pressure burst pipes or it makes diamonds. And in the playoffs or in championship situations with the game on the line, say, for example, if we go to a different football English football, you look at the experience of the Euros now and you have to say that with that young core, 
of you look at what Jude Bellingham is doing now and things like that in this tournament, which is a World Cup, which is another major tournament within the space of two and a half years, the experiences they had from making a major tournament final will only fill them with confidence that this is what a quarterfinal feels like. It's what last 16 and then hopefully another mm -hmm. final. So I think that translates into any sport, even an individual sport, where if you haven't been on the biggest stage of them all, sometimes you actually have no idea how you're going to react. Um, mm -hmm. My dad uh, was a boxer and he always used to say, you'd have great gym fighters. And then when the lights come on, you'd have people who just crumble and pressure does some interesting things to people. And so being able to have that experience in the room to say, this is what it's like. This is how we go about business at this time of year. Because for a lot of the players in the NFL, you go from high school where you play nine, maybe 10 games to college where you play 11, maybe 12 to then you're thrust into the pros. And if you throw in the preseason, you're looking at 20 games for preseason and regular season for some of these rookies if they've played every preseason game before you've even played a snap in the playoffs. Right. So this, this is the biggest and longest season at the highest stage for a lot of these rookies or younger talent. And especially if you make a deep run into the playoffs, like you look at some of the perennial playoff contenders like the Chiefs, the Patriots, and if you look at Tom Brady's stats in the postseason, it adds up to a full season because as soon as you're playing January and hopefully February football, you're adding four or five games to your to your schedule, which is huge. Mm, you know what? It's so well articulated and helps me because my long-standing campaign for Eli Manning is a definite Hall of Famer. I'm just going <laughs> to clip up the last 90 seconds and just <laughs> send, that, send that to Canton and say, just put him in, please. Because it's at the definition of, as your dad said, when the lights come on, there are certain players that crumble. He's the diametric opposite. When he hmm. crunch time, he just brings it. Doesn't matter what he doesn't matter he's mediocre for in the regular season. It doesn't matter because he's a big time clutch player. Let's talk about some of those perennial contenders. So you've got the Chiefs in your top five yeah. offensive cause. It's extraordinary what they're doing. Uh and you get a feeling, I get a feeling that that they, much like what we were just saying, are only gonna get better as this season goes. Mm -hmm. And it feels that they haven't hit their peak yet. And I think exactly off what we just said it's Travis Kelsey it's Patrick Mahomes mainly Patrick Mahomes is 15 because he can play he can do things that other people have no opportunity to do because either they're not that creative and definitely don't have that arm talent or skill and when he's on the same page as Travis Kelsey for example 12 touchdowns in the red in the red zone um for the season it's honestly incredible so then plus Andy Reid Eric Bieniemy, good coaching staff. And the big question this year was, is Tyreek Hill going to make a significant difference to what Patrick Mahomes in this offense is able to do? Right. And I think that they've answered that with uh, authority, really, where they're spreading the ball around to different receivers. You've brought in Juju um, this season, who stepped up effectively almost as a flex tight end kind of role where he's making the big contested catches in the middle of the field. He's kind of that, that dominant receiver in terms of physicality, using his big mm. body presence. And then off the back of that, you've got Travis Kelsey. So you've got the best tight end in the game. I think the best quarterback in the game. And I think that people almost are used to his talents in the fact that they kind of take it for granted that why isn't he a consensus MVP candidate for what he's done this season? This is so again so true of, of, of greats in sports. When you think about Messi and Ronaldo, certainly at the peak of their powers, whenever they're in a game, well, you definitely take it for granted. Whenever they're in a game and they're not doing something sensational with the ball, it's why they do. You know, you just these assumptions that you make because of the levels that they've set. Mahomes is definitely in that space. Just on that Kelsey connection and the Chiefs in in the red zone and how they're utilizing tight ends because Kelsey, you say, is 
had 12 and they've had three more from Fortson and Gray, right? So mm-hmm. that's a hell of a red zone offense, specifically utilizing tight ends. Talk us through that a bit more, how how the offense changes, how, mm-hmm. how the game plan changes when you're in the red zone. So when you get into the red zone, so high red's usually about 20 yards from uh, the end zone line. So the field condenses. So you can't really threaten with deep threats. So effectively, you can allow the safeties or the defenders to sit deep and keep the ball in front of them, which means that if you're a quarterback, it's much more likely that a defender will be able to drive on the ball and make a play because they have complete field of vision. They're not turning around chasing things from, say, having to protect a fade when you're on the halfway line. So then it comes down to matchups where it becomes harder to get separation on an individual basis from receivers. So this is what I quite liked about red zone was I can use my my wingspan, like my seven foot wingspan to be able to almost box out a defender. If I'm put on a, a linebacker, I'm bigger than them. And if I'm put on a safety, I'm also bigger than them. So if you're in the case of Travis Kelsey, who is an elite talent and has incredible skill, it means that not only is he able to use his greater size in that area, but also he has the the wiggle and, and the ability to move like a receiver. So then he's a complete matchup problem, which is why some games you've seen him score three touchdowns in one game. Mm, it, it's extraordinary. On the no Tyreek position, the, looking at the data from, it was the Rams game, I think, they had 10 different players have receptions, right? Mm. And the just the definition of Mahomes spraying around and mixing it up and Sky Moore is coming through now as well. So he's, he's starting to see more and more pieces emerging and, and playing their role. Do you think it obviously forced Andy Reid to, to, to change things up a bit and to, and to rethink things? Uh, but do you think in a way it was what was needed for this iteration of the Chiefs and the success they'd had with, with Reid and Mahomes and obviously Hill for a big part of that and Kelsey for a big part of that, that actually by forcing their hand to, to change things up, they're arguably a stronger offense for it. I definitely say a different offense. Stronger, I think, depends on the year because if you insert Tyreek Hill back into that team, you've got right. to, not a better team. Well, uh, I guess what I mean is because it's a fair point. I guess stronger yeah. offense in the sense that it's a it's a copycat league, it's a catch up league, and actually mm-hmm. we we've seen this across the board uniformly. The way that defenses are dealing with things now is almost entirely based on that Reed Mahomes Hill yeah. model, right? So. In other words, defense, they were explosive in their heyday, but uh, people catching up now. I know the counter argument here is look at what Hill's doing in Miami. Even if you know it's coming, you can't stop it. But you get my point. It, yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah, trying for them to change it up anyway, and it forced their hand to do that. And I think it was needed because with free agency and with the realities of what a salary cap entails, when you pay someone like uh, like um, Tyreek Hill what he's been paid in Miami, but you also already have paid Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs, you can't keep both of them. It's just not a reality where that works. So mm-hmm. I think the the realities of the business environment necessitated the fact that they were going to lose Tyreek Hill eventually because his talents did deserve to command that kind of fee in this present market. So then it becomes a case of as a coaching staff, which they've been able to adapt incredibly well, is how do we then restructure this team where we're used to being able to take a slant to the house 90 yards with one player or it's back end of the game. Let me just throw it to Tyreek or Travis Kelsey and we'll win the game. So now it almost is a, instead of a personnel standing, it's a coaching issue where it's, this is where that quality comes to the fore, where they're able to maximize the talents of 10 different receivers in one game instead of relying on Travis Kelsey and one other. It's now as a complete team, this then poses huge problems for defenses because who do you take away? Who do you double? If you double Travis Kelsey, then there's 
nine other people on the roster that that can be thrown to. So mm. I think this makes the Chiefs a more complete team. I definitely think that obviously if you add Tyreek, it's an even better team. But in terms of being able to have confidence in the depth of the squad, which is what's needed when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, IR, so you've lost your running back now. So there's now a chance for someone else to step up into that. And then it means that no one's as phased within the building because you're used to sharing the load and being able to spread the ball around. Big game this weekend, of course, against the Bengals, who had the Chiefs card marked last season anyway, right? They lost twice in the regular season, of course, the AFC Championship game when it mattered. And if that wasn't enough recent history, Jamar Chase expected to be back for the Bengals. So are we talking shootout central here? I think so. I think so. I, I want to see it. Um, well, that's what the fan wants, isn't it? If you're gonna if you're gonna have a box office matchup, which is a repeat of a, a Super Bowl run that was honestly incredible from what the Bengals were able to do. But having watched um the, the game against the Titans and watching Tennessee, I would actually say that I don't know if it's exactly the same Bengals team as last year. I know they've tried to revamp the offensive line, give uh, Joe Burrow more protection. And I still think it's quite... Uh, a any prote- some pro- any protection. Yeah. <laughs> it admits. And yeah. the quality of Joe Burrow allows him to just basically decide to just take it on his own shoulders and, and be the reason for the success of this offense. The fact that they're able to beat the Titans without Chase, and then now he's returning. We don't know how many snaps he'll get or in what capacity, but it just adds an extra element for the Chiefs defenders to think about. And... I mean, if you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's going to put bums on seats. <laughs> you know, you t- you take the, um, by the way, you said everyone's looking forward to a shootout. That's what everyone wants. You're absolutely right. The only person that wouldn't want that is Propo, the unders king of Plumpton, who always backs the unders. So he's going <laughs> to be the only person in the universe right now that, that wouldn't want that. The I was thinking about Burrow and I'm not, this isn't like some forced hipster view or contrary view to provoke. If you take Mahomes and Rogers, even though he's misfiring the season and Brady mm-hmm. out of it, right? So take take that amount of it. And I guess Lamar's probably close to that generation, but for argument's sake, we'll kind of keep Lamar in, in the kind of everyone else category. So take the Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, and then the, yeah. the two heavyweight, all-time heavyweights, take them out. Which quarterback would you want if you're setting up a franchise or running a franchise tomorrow mm. i think i'd go borrow i really I, mm. over allen and incredible player of course but there's just something about borrow for me that is uh i know he doesn't have the duality that josh allen has and look it gets him almost impossible to pick hairs because there are both terrific quarterbacks but I, there's something about borrow and his moxie and his big game up for it mm. uh making stuff happen jamar chase goes down oh well that's the end of the bengals season then no it's not and higgins has been brilliant number borrow is is a big part of that okay on to the cowboys and, and another quarterback i think that i want to get your take on because fascinating career i think he's had Dak prescott he mm. fell into the starting gig you know as a lower round pick fortune favored him took his opportunity and it was an opportunity behind a very well structured offensive line and a, and a, and a contending team. That's the best landing spot I guess you can have. Mm. Uh, and he took that chance, ran with it, got the big deal. Of course, injuries factored in as well. He's a guy that if you look at the money, you look at the numbers, he should be considered in that the conversation, you know, mm-hmm. just having like, who would you pick? Oh, is it Allen? Is it Lamar? Is it Burrow? But it doesn't feel like he is by many people's standards outside Cowboy Nation. It feels like, he is widely considered in that second tier of quarterbacks. Does that stack up for you? Is that a fair assessment of him? Or do you think he's underestimated? 
No, I actually think that that was a fair assessment, to be honest. I think the contract value sometimes masks or, in this case, inflates on-field talent because I think he had his best game against the Vikings on Thanksgiving where he went 22 or 25 or something crazy like that. But mm. Vikings were honestly horrendous that day, which not doing a disservice. The Cowboys, I don't think they, you can have more of a complete game than that. Um, but when you... One thing that jumps out at me is, would I say that Dak, having Dak Prescott is an upgrade on, say, having a Jalen Hurts? Mm. I don't think so. Or a Tua, I don't think so. And we're not speaking of those in term, those players in terms of that that generational um, talent kind of mm-hmm. argument or being able to be like the cornerstone of what the NFL is. I think, obviously, the brand being at the star is huge. Mm. But in terms of talent, I wouldn't say that he has that, that kind of that missing piece that makes quarterbacks elite because you have to remember as well, there are 32 starting jobs in the NFL and not everyone is elite. There's not, if you can have a top 10 who are fantastic, but then it's probably five, six who you say, okay, this guy's got something special. And, and that's not a disservice to anyone because if you have a starting job in the NFL, you are a fantastic athlete and player, which he is. But in terms of the argument of putting him in the conversation with that next echelon up, I think there's definitely uh, a bit of a gap. That is really well, really well argued. The Turin Jalen Hurts examples are an interesting one because they're both at the moment in the MVP conversation. I think everyone expects Mahomes to win that, but every year when we have an MVP conversation, it's well, who's on the shortlist? You know, Russell Wilson, you know, perennial shortlist of the MVP. Never, <laughs> would you believe? <laughs> never getting it done. Oh, that would be that would be classic if he gets a one vote this year. By some, <laughs> does Nathaniel Hackett have a vote? Then that would be his part. <laughs> shot. The so there. So do you feel they're clearly? Uh, overperforming is the wrong way to describe it. Performing at the the height, the peak of their abilities right now, Tua and Jalen. Or I guess what I'm asking is, if we're agreed, and I think it's a fair argument that they're not in that top top elite tier, mm-hmm. but yet they're in the conversation right now. It they're in the right rhythm. It's the right it's the right offense for them. Everything's clicking for them. Is that the distinction? Yeah, definitely. I think circumstance and timing are huge factors because if you look at both of them in their careers, both Alabama quarterbacks, both have replaced each other in national championship games. So in terms of having parallel experiences where it's almost like a like-for-like comparison in terms of their journeys, um, you then say, if you look at Jalen Hurts, drafted to the Eagles, Carson Wentz was the starter at the time, but then they've revamped this offense where they're backing the run game and using that QB designed run to great effect. I think he had a hundred yards in the first quarter of over the weekend, which is absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. Combine that with he's now been working on his, on his accuracy in the off season. And then also if you look at their age, they're both under 25. So if you look at the career progressions or mm. potential projections that they could have, where they're playing for another 10 years health providing, then they're nowhere near their peaks at the moment. And then you've also got now, hopefully, organizations who are backing them. You look at Tua, Mike McDaniel's come out, giving him a weapon in Tyreek Hill. And now he's delivering where between the numbers and that intermediate game, I think he's probably the most accurate quarterback this season in games that he's been playing. Well, let's bring them into it because the Dolphins are on your list as well uh, <laughs> and compare and contrast their offense with the Cowboys because they're very different styles of offense mm-hmm. aren't they the cowboys for all the plaudits we've given dak and he's and he's clearly a, a heavyweight player 
are based really around the ground game. That's the starting point, right? It's, it's the one-two punch Pollard. And we, and we saw this one-two punch last year, of course, but it feels like it's gone in to the next level because Pollard's gone to the next level. Mm-hmm. What does that pollard Elliott tandem give the Cowboys that other teams don't have? I think it's so dangerous because I guess going back to a bit of the Dak conversation and why he isn't as elite as you'd kind of want him to be is Cooper Rush started a few games and won this season. Everyone thought that going out was the end of their season. Yeah. But juggernaut that is the Cowboys this year in terms of their defense, Mike Parsons, and then the one-two punch of Elliott and Pollard means that effectively as a quarterback, you only have to make 20, 20 throws a game. Uh, you're not being asked to drop back 50 times and the whole game rests on whether you make the throw or not and mm-hmm. CD Lamb coming down with it. So having that run game and a solid, and a solid defense, it's, it's old school football. It's you pound the rock and you stop the run, right, right. <laughs> which the Cowboys are currently having problems with. So they're able to get after the quarterback and rush the passer on the defensive end. But then having Zeke and Pollard, where Pollard's the kind of the wily finesse uh, running back who limit his carries to say less than 20 a game. Whereas you have Zeke who's just going to, doesn't care. He's just a beast. He's an animal. And I think he, his size is probably not really kind of translated through when you watch on the screen, because mm. I've heard that some people are like, he runs like a 260 pound running back. And then you only think if you saw Derek Henry on, on screen, you go, okay, yeah, that's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. because I think the Cowboys offensive line is enormous as well. <laughs> it kind of masks the fact that he also is a very stout runner and has no problem running between the tackles. So having that one-two punch where now Pollard's showing that even in the passing game, he can be effective, it just gives so many options and so much versatility to that offense. So what you're saying with Zeke is it's a bit like when I'm doing uh, a live BBL game with Kieran Achara and Mike Tuck. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. The story that was made of mine was watching, he was watching the game in a sports bar uh, well, the, the screens were so it's a Friday night game and it was on a loads of different screens. And my mate was with some mates and it was kind of on in the background. And his mate just tapped him and said, Oh my god, look how short that guy is! <laughs> I'm six foot. That's like Steph Curry's like six four, and you think he was like five eleven. <laughs> uh, that's probably the only time I'll ever be compared to Steph Curry. Uh, look at the um, look at the Cowboys record. And this is an interesting one because I know that the cliche is well, you can only beat what's in front of you. and mm-hmm. But actually, it's a, you know, like a lot of cliches, there's a, a lot of truth in it. But you you look at their five on the bounce run they've had, the Cowboys mm-hmm. this season, and the, the defense they face. So the Giants, Detroit, uh, I love Detroit, but come on, Green Bay, it should be mm-hmm. top top 10 defenses, the diametric opposite. Minnesota and Chicago, right? they've had their mm-hmm. moments, but all flawed defenses. So not uh, necessarily taking away from the fluency of the offense irrespective of who they're up against. But if we're talking about timing and working out out of these contenders in the in the field now, who's going to really deep run it in the playoffs? Do we still need to see a little bit more from the Cowboys against Tar- And they're not going to have it this weekend, particularly because it's the Colts. Uh, and, you know, not again, not a bad situation, but not, you know, they're not up against one of the, the top, top, top defenses. Do you think we need to wait and see a little bit longer before we look at them as really credible Super Bowl contenders? I think with the the strength of schedule remaining, um, I know they have the Eagles on Christmas Eve. Mm. I think they have the Titans maybe New Year's Eve or something like that. And apart from, I think those are the two games which 
if you were going to have a litmus test for where is this team going into the playoffs, those are the big matchups. Likewise for um, Philly playing against the Cowboys. Um, so the Philly game is huge because it's divisional arrival. Uh, Christmas Eve is going to have a lot of eyeballs on that game. That's going to be a game where the defense needs to step up and show that they can stop the run. But then you also then have to back that up by having a game against Tennessee and Derek Henry. And so you basically have a two-shot deal before the end of the season to show that you can stop an elite running running attack and offense. Mm. If they can do that convincingly, then I think that they've kind of put to bed any any debate on them being able to make a deep run into the playoffs. But I would say that the concerning factor isn't their offense, it's probably the ability to stop the run because if they're rushing the passer and they're ahead in the game, like it's it's a horrible situation to be in for any team. And looking at the remaining uh, teams that they're facing, I think that if they can come out of that Eagles game and the Titans game confident in their ability to um, just be stout on the on the back end and and uh, in the trenches, mm. then that puts them in a very different conversation. So jury's still kind of out right now. Um, Dolphins difference in style of offenses is apparent to to the naked eye. What about the development and improvement? we've seen in Tua and that is even with the the biggest or strongest Tua apologist would surely have admitted well we're not quite sure if he is gonna make it to the level that that a franchise like the Dolphins needs a contending franchise needs but clearly he has done that is Mm. that down to McDaniel and what he's asking him to do having this incredible talent in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle for that matter as well is it his own development just another year in acclimatizing getting to up to speed with things or is it a combination of all of those things i think it's all of them because you also have to remember the circumstances he was playing under where his team were actively shopping for a new quarterback while he was under center (laughs) Um, we've already heard about all of the the chaos that was going on behind the scenes with the front and back office and the ownership um and so for any young quarterback who's trying to stake a claim not having the head coach believe in you, who was also a defensive-minded head coach at the time. I think Mm. Mike McDaniel coming in, being part of that Shanahan tree as well, it's really coming to the fore where now they're adding a bit of a run game, able to take some of the pressure off, and they're not really asking him to make as many huge, accurate throws down the field. Mm. Between the numbers, and basically you have two racehorses (laughs) in Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, give him a slant give them a little intermediate route and then let them get the yards after the catch where suddenly you've broken off what was probably a 10, 10 15 yard completion for 60 yards. Suddenly you're, you're 300, 380 yards per game. Mm. And it's having those weapons and it's the, it's a, it's a complementary system where now you add a bit of the run game, you add a bit of the play action, you allow Mike McDaniel as a young offensive minded coach, which is obviously in vogue at the moment to be able to kind of scheme up things that, put his quarterback in a good position, make the most out of the receivers that he's got, and then add a bit of run game for then a bit of smoke and mirrors for what this offense is trying to do. Then suddenly you have a very capable quarterback who's won national championships at a very young age for a powerhouse of a college who's played on the biggest stages. So the bright light shouldn't scare him or get to yeah, him. Yeah. Then it's a completely different story because you've got, you've got, confidence in him and you're giving him confidence rather than having him looking over his shoulder the whole time thinking if I make a mistake I'm losing my job it's a great but a lot of great points and Jeff Wilson I think incidentally might be one of the sneakiest good pickups of the uh, of the season when we look back let me get your take on Mike Gesicki because around that time that the Dolphins dealt for for Wilson 
talk Gasicki might be going the other way mm-hmm. and he wasn't settled and didn't really like his role in the team. They weren't really playing to his strengths, but he's stayed and and the Dolphins are the better for it. He's, he's the better for it, I think. Why was there doubt at the time? What is it about Gasicki and his strengths and his attributes and, and maybe his, his weaknesses or things that he's not as strong at that caused that fragility with his positioning? And, and, and what have they done now to, to make that right on both sides? I always thought it was going to be an interesting fit with uh, Mike McDaniel coming in because Mike Gasicki is not a run-blocking tight end. And, and if you look at what George Kittle does and his responsibilities for the Niners, where it's very much in-line dominance, and then the fact that Mike McDaniel comes from that system and arguably wants to implement some of the schemes from that, I didn't see the fit with him being the guy. But then if you go back to that red zone side of things where he's a, a long-framed tight end who is built more in the Travis Kelsey type of receiver and being able to create a mismatch in the passing game rather than having real efficacy in the run game. Now, suddenly when you're seeing people settle into the new, into the new regime and system and also find a way for him to maximize his strengths. Now you're seeing the kind of player that he can be. So I think Mm. he has um, four touchdowns on the year, which then you combine with the fact that schematically you can't double both Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, and then leave a 6'6 tight end in the middle of the red zone on his own, mm. again, middle linebacker who can run. So it's it's a it's a it's a nightmare situation for any defense where they can beat you with speed. Now they've added a run game, and then they've also got a tight end who can catch the ball in the end zone. So it's looking good for them. How do you compensate though for that lack of run blocking ability? If you have a tight end, as you said, that isn't really built that way. Mm. what happens next? Do you just rule out X amount of specific plays because you re- we're not built that way or do you compensate mm. in a different way? I've seen a couple of different systems. Some people going with the, the jumbo tackle, but that doesn't suit the style of offense where you have effectively the non-starting tackle will come in and play a tight end role for that position, but it tells yeah. what you're trying to do in that position. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. quite obvious okay, we're going to run the ball. So that's not an option with this offense. Then sometimes it's actually just a matter of coaching schemes. And basically, if you can get the the defense moving offline and and the defender or edge rusher not sure where the ball is going to go, where he has to have, say, two gap responsibilities, then suddenly you're not allowing him to tee off on your tight end Mm -hmm. and then highlighting the fact that he's not the best blocker. So there's ways to, to play to his strengths as well as even personnel changes that can be made within the game. That's fascinating. The Dolphins, of course, got the 49ers this weekend. Another hell of a game. What you said about look, using and utilizing Hill and Waddle in the way that they do and picking up the yards after catch, as they have done so prolifically all season long, are they going to be able to pull that off against the 49ers, the best defense in the business right now? We spoke about Dallas being able to prove themselves as a, a playoff contender to make a deep run. I think this game speaks to where Tua is and where this offense is. And if they're able to break some big runs off or even just some 80-yard catches from Tyreek Hill and things like that against this defense, which is very miserly, doesn't give up a lot of points. I think they gave up three points in the first three quarters of the last game, something like that. Um, Yeah. It was honestly incredible. So they've got a great pass rush. I'm not really sure on the health of the the Dolphins line, though. That's a bit concerning Mm. because you need to be able to keep two upright and protected. And we've seen already this season, obviously, what's happened when they haven't done that. So the Niners' ability to get after the quarterback is incredible. So 
for Mike McDaniel, this is a matchup against men- Mentor. It's almost like uh, <laughs> you couldn't write it. It probably right. would be more to Mike McDaniel to get one over on his, on his old boss, Carl Shanahan. And he'll know, they'll both know what each other is trying to do and, and so try and taking away um, their best strength. So it'll be really interesting from a, almost like a X's and O's schematic and, and chessboard maneuvering kind of lens to look at this game as well as obviously the on-field talent there is but just looking at the environment that the coaches create in the training week which then breeds the success in terms of the game plan that they implement on Sunday I think ultimately that will probably be the difference maker because Mike McDaniel will know what this defense can do and he'll be completely wet but like saying that he will know where the holes are in the defense so I'm really interested to see is he able to expose this Niners defense, I guess, from an inside perspective where, oh, no, 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 this is how you beat this team. And then obviously it's a copycat league. So if he does that, then what happens going forward for the Niners, who everyone's quite high on high on at the moment, even myself, to make a deep run is this is arguably a huge game for both because mm. the Niners with Jimmy G under center, yes, he can get it done, but I'm more on Debo, skill positions, uh, Christian McCaffrey strong defense but if you take the strong defense away by exposing the frailties that they could have if mm. Mike McDaniel is able to expose that then for this team as well for both of them this may set a trend for their future projections the blueprint could be could be written this weekend just on that super quickly because this fascinates me as well do you know how a lot of wily coaches that leverage the guile will hold stuff back in the regular season. Particularly if they if they think, I know mm-hmm. this is different because obviously we've got an AFC and an NFC team facing each other. So if they do face each other again, it'll be in the Super Bowl. But well, I guess it still applies. But let's say it's interconference. They'll hold stuff back because they know we're going to see you down the line and we don't want to show our hand too much. I mean, I, I love that whole that mm-hmm. whole cat and mouse stuff. On the 49ers offense, uh, you said they were a left field pick to be in your top five. And we started the show by talking about statistically, oh, you can understand why. But there is so much variation, so much potential here. And you get the feeling that obviously with CMC only being there a month, Debo mm-hmm. coming back, Garoppolo finding his groove again, Shanahan's in the same way Andy Reid is this mad artist, blank canvas, just constantly painting onto that he's thinking, my God, look at all these weapons I've got now and is just going to continue to develop that. Is that what you like about the most of all the X factor? It's the X factor as well as they've been dealing with huge health issues the whole year with people in and out of the lineup where it might be a relatively complex game plan that he wants to implement, but he doesn't know or he didn't know who was going to be executing that game plan. You had Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even have a playbook coming into the season, who was on the chopping block. And then suddenly Trey Lance goes down, he's your starter. So then you're getting him acclimatized as well as obviously you already know what he can do, but how do you kind of <laughs> reverse and then say, we believe in you, you can get us to the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Bearing in mind, he has got them to a Super Bowl before. right? So it's not out of the question that he can do the same thing again. The reason why I'm high on on the 49ers is that that defense will give them opportunities to have possessions, extra Mm. possessions here and there, which could be the decisive factor in the game. So if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't need to make any X-factor plays, he just needs to not turn the ball over and get the ball to those playmakers who can be so devastating. And that's where Kyle Shanahan comes in, where instead of being forced to be this genius arguably actually has to take a step back and think how can i just simplify this game plan Mm. to put my players who are that much better than their players 
in the best positions to win. And so that's why I think it's quite a dangerous combination because speaking of experience, Jimmy Garoppolo has played in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He has done that. I know every, I know he gets a lot of a lot of stick for being unreliable in certain circumstances. I know they didn't put up that many points last weekend, but the potential is there in terms of the personnel health-wise, as long as they can improve and stay healthy from here on out and have the players they need on the field. And then similar to the Eagles, it's if you have an unstoppable run game, there's not really much else you can you can do because you force the other team, until you stop my run, I don't have to do anything else. I can keep pounding the ball on you because all I have to do is get Jimmy Garoppolo to step back, hand the ball off, screen game. And it's things like that which are more predictable than being able to have X-factor players. I think... Mm. If I look at the Vikings, for example, Kirk Cousins is probably the reason why I didn't put them in in that top five because (laughs) (laughs) we have Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is incredible. And I will not take it away from that offense that they they can get it done. But they have been exposed. Kirk Cousins has been exposed as well. And in terms of that reliance on the passing game and then having him under center, I think I'd be more confident with having Jimmy G under center and a strong running game going into mm. the playoffs. No doubt. You know the drill as well by now. When we mentioned Kirk Cousins, shout out Mike McCartney, the greatest agent <laughs> in sports <laughs> entertainment. The, uh, so the 49ers Dolphins, a hell of a game. Just one quick one on the 49ers red zone. Mm. Unlike the Chiefs, they're not prolific in the red zone. 37% Propo has been doing his work, uh, homework. 37% scoring percentage in the red zone. Uh, why are they struggling so much in the red zone? That's something that's quite hard to put a finger on because they're they're moving the ball so well. Um, and that's something that I think will get addressed schematically and within kind of the coaching staff because that's a coaching staff problem because it's why are we moving up the middle of the field so well? And then as soon as it gets to that, that red zone, we're coming away with three points sometimes uh, and stuff like that. Why are we not being able to either punch it in or catch the ball? And, and it's not something that I can really figure out in terms of they have the personnel and I think is it is it play I don't know if it's play calling I don't know if it's matchups or mm. just things happen a lot faster in the in the red zone as well and and the margin for errors is reduced so then is it that you don't want Jimmy G to turn the ball over so you're not call, causing certain play, calling certain plays risking it yeah what about the lack of his issues? lack of his I mean he's not a great runner right and is that mm-hmm. and how much does that factor if you look I mean the Eagles the last of your five mm-hmm. number one in the red zone and it's probably no coincidence that they have they have one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the game certainly as you established one of the strongest runners in the game that, that obviously gives you an edge just want to have significant an edge that is let's look at the Eagles so Numbers-wise, third in points per game, third in rushing yards, first in red zone scoring, fifth in passing completion. I mean, the the list goes on and just in terms of really, really competent all-round, well-rounded offense. And that was your point, I guess, isn't it? You know how strong they are on the ground. They've got some key playmakers in the air and they've got a great defense that underpins it all. So out of the 49ers and the Eagles, who's your favorite in the NFC right now? I'm going to go Eagles for a more complete team. I think uh, the difference is Jimmy G and Jalen Hurts. I think that's the difference maker for the, for that because the Eagles' offensive line is what gives them an incredible run game. The Niners running backs as well as the offensive line, but the offensive line for the Eagles is just another level. Um, mm. 363 yards uh, rushing the other day. Like, how, how do you stop that? How do you stop that? They've gone the, the length of the field like it's a track meet. <laughs> 
it's, it's urban mind numbers uh 360 <laughs> but their their fallibility right now defensively is their is their run d in, in mm-hmm. recent weeks and they've obviously had injuries there and they've made moves to to, to try and uh, st- uh stem the tide stem the flow do you think that's an, a matchup this weekend obviously going up against the titans and, and derek henry that we can see well the adjustments that they've made the personnel they brought in very hard to keep henry silent but you could keep yeah. henry in check right we learned mm. a lot about this eagles defense this weekend won't we yeah definitely i think you saw with the cincinnati bengals apart from a 75-yard screen that he got punched out just before the line, which cost me some fantasy points. I was living oh. <laughs> Apart from that, they actually did a good job of bottling him up. Um, and the problem with the, the Titans is with Ryan Tannehill, if you take away, as we saw in the playoffs, multiple times now, actually, if you take away Derrick Henry or you just accept, okay, let's keep him to 100 yards <laughs> and don't let him stop anything more than that, yeah. then, and you force him to throw it, they don't really, they've lost AJ Brown now. So obviously, mm-hmm bit of a revenge game for him playing against his old team. But if you put the hands, if you put the ball into Ryan Tannehill's hands and you don't allow Derek Henry, who set out on the run, you don't allow Derek Henry to keep moving up the field. This team doesn't really have that many options. So while it is is a good litmus test to see where the Eagles are, they brought in Sue to try and shore up that interior. They have a real veteran core in terms of their defensive line. And so if you basically tell them, yes, you have to get the court, get after the quarterback, but your number one job is to stop Derrick Henry. We'll figure out the rest because on the back end, they've got two of the top corners in the game. Suddenly you're thinking, well, yes, obviously it's a great run, but in terms of the threats and the number of threats and diversity of looks that you could have, it's not as challenging as some of the other teams where, Effectively, I do feel like the Titans' offense is almost being reduced to Derrick Henry or Wales. Derrick Henry or bust, they're right. Uh, we're going to get to more of the weekend's action over on Edge Rush with me and Propo later this week. Before, well, we've got to get back to the trenches, man. Before we do, let's, let's go to the mailbag because we've had a lot of questions in for you. So it would be remiss not to do a couple. Why don't we go with, uh, yeah, let's go with this one from uh, Bitter Toffee. Uh, on Twitter at the NC show. Are the Ravens a really good seven and four team or a mediocre seven and four team? They're like Schrodinger's cat. I mean, that's deep diving from uh, for a bit of toffee on a Wednesday afternoon. Can you pinpoint why they keep throwing wins away? So the seven and four Ravens, are you uh, down on them? You think they're going to be in the mix? Where are you at on them? I don't know where to put them because it's a different reason each week it feels like why they lose a tight game. Right, um, right. If it was just one thing, because at the beginning of the season, it was everyone calling out the defense. Defense isn't standing up. And then the defense, I feel like, has been trending upwards since those, those days. But mm. now I think they've lost, what, four or five when they've got a 10-point lead? No, they lost um, four when they've got a 10-point lead. Unbelievable. Um, which, when Lamar Jackson's playing in a contract year, um, where he's trying to get paid, trying to get his $250 million or whatever it is, I don't know. I feel like the, the the problems change the offense now where it's errors, it's turnovers. I think you saw it was at J.K. Dobbins fumbled the ball late in the fourth quarter, mm. which popped up, uh, gave the opportunity for Trevor Lawrence to, to kind of level it where they could have pulled away. And it's, it's those crucial decisions in game. And I know that being in, in the building when things like that happen, where it's kind of not a freak incident, but especially where it's a costly turnover that's on a relatively normal and predictable run between the tackles that suddenly is a turnover on your 25-yard line. You look at that, but then that's not the same problem as week four 
when the defense can't stop anyone and then John um Harbour has made a decision to not kick the points and then think that his defense is going to hold up. So mm. I don't really know is an honest answer. I, I think they are a good team, but it's execution. And ultimately execution comes down to the players on the field, I think. Yeah, they are. I mean, this is the story of the season for most teams. I mean, you've got two extremities, right? You've got teams that we know are going to be like the Chiefs are going to be in the deep waters of the playoffs. We know that the Texans aren't and they're a, a gaggle on both ends. And then there's just this, I mean, God, the first London game we did, we were talking about this. Mm. And here we are, you know, eight weeks later, it's still the same thing. There's just a whole clutch of them that, well, hey, it's almost full circle. Perfect way to wrap things up. It's about who times it right in yeah. December and in January. And that's what we're getting into now. The, uh, the serious, serious stage of proceedings. It's great to see you, man. Great to call a uh, chat ball with you. And good to get you out of the trenches for a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate it as always. And being able to talk about football instead of uh, legal precedents is definitely <laughs> a welcome break. Thank you so much as always for having me on. Oh, absolute pleasure, man. Likewise, back at you. Take care of yourself, man. See you soon. Heavyweight stuff from Christian Scott and Williamson. I would expect no less. Thank you, all of you who've taken time to get in touch with the show in the last week. The, the season, frankly, I'm not going to limit it to the last week, but all of you send messages on social media, at The NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok. We're still rolling on TikTok. For example, I want to shout out Matt, Audi77 on Twitter. Hey, Matt, because I know looking at the feed, you get in touch with us uh, a lot and we really appreciate all the support you give us. He has put a list of the shows that he listens to and his messages. Thanks to these for the company on Long Drives Home From Work. 5 a.m.'s in the gym. Heavyweight, Matt, getting into the gym at 5 a.m. He's got on his list around the NFL. Love that show. Who doesn't love our friends? Greg Rosenthal, Dan Hansis, Sessler. Shout out to the Great West as well. He's got uh, the F1 checkered flag, 5 Live Pod. Love that too. And he's got the Nat Coombe show on there. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Appreciate you letting us know. All of you who've taken time to message, we really appreciate that. Just following us on social, subscribing to us, listening to the show. We are all part of the same crew and I appreciate that very much. I know Propo does as well. If you have time, drop a note, drop a review, drop a message on any pod platform that you can. Shout out to all of you who've done that on Apple Pods and Spotify. You know the drill by now. Speaking of Propo, we're back with Edge Rush. FFS rolling. I'm back in the hot seat with the Guru Sandrini this week. Back on Monday in the vault. Ben Isaac, speaking of all pros, brilliant stuff from him. If you haven't listened to that show yet, go check it out. And Iron Mike is back on Monday. Iron Mike fans, and I know there are a lot of them. So we're keeping the pods coming thick and fast. Four shows a week as we roll and roll and roll into the winter season. Good to have you with us, gang. Check in with you soon. Bye for now. Podcast Network.